Can I just say, I think that the paintings by the Grand Masters aren't even that great. Can oh. I just say that? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Coming in hot, just talking shit about Da Vinci. Wow. Or not, because he didn't paint this thing. So. <laughs> Hi, Julian Benzavalli. Hi, Patrick Hines. Oh, fam, so much to get to before we get to the show. Number one, are you listening to Let the Women Do the Work, Julian Benzavalli's uh, new podcast? Uh, it still makes me nervous and shy, but I love it. I love making it, and thank you, everyone, for listening and saying nice things it's about it. It's so good. It comes out every Thursday in the TCO feed. Go back a couple weeks, start from the beginning if you haven't. We've yes. got Gemma from The Keepers, Rabia, Maggie Freeling. Yeah, Lori Davis, Roberta from Lula Rich. Oh, my God, Roberta from Lula Rich, spilling the tea. I mean, the two of us were talking at not even 1.5 speed, 2.0. No, <laughs> you know she loves a Chardonnay. I'm just saying it. I know she does. You know what? We'll find that out together yeah. these days. <laughs> so also, come see me on tour, fam. I'm going on the road with the TCO live show that disappeared tomorrow. Murray, remember the oxygen thing? Do I remember? <laughs> we covered it on TCO. Then you and me did it live with yeah. Lance and Tim a bunch of times. Yeah. Well, me and Lance and Tim and Maggie are going on the road. We're going to Orlando, West Palm Beach, Atlanta, St. Paul, Dallas, and Houston. These are all places you guys have asked us to come. Please come out and see us. Some of these venues are kind of small. They're selling out fast. So oh, get your tickets quickly. Yes, go see my friends, everyone. Have we fun. We insist. I insist. And our merch store is still open. Oh my God. So get your t-shirts. Get your Let the Women Do the Work with Jillian Pensavalli t-shirt. Oh my God, it says my name on it. I'm shy. Uh, our pride shirt too. The pride shirt is, even if you're not going to buy it, which I don't care. The only reason I want you to buy the merch is because we donate a lot of it to charity. Yes. But also because this pride shirt has like Stonewall on it. It's yeah. so good. Go yeah. look at it. Yeah, at the very least, just look at it. Just look at That's it. That's it. all I ask. Yeah. And join our Patreon. Yes. If you want more GP and me over 300 full ad-free bonus episodes. Right now we're doing that, what's it called? Wild what? Wild crime. Wild crime. That yeah. guy pushed his wife off a cliff. I know. And shockingly, his, name, his last name is not Peterson. Very weird. We'll get into it. Come join us, won't it's you? It's true. Oh my lord. It's quite a journey. Okay. <laughs> girl what are we talking about today uh, <laughs> a bunch of dumb art snobs yeah. it's called the lost leonardo there are only about 15 leonardo's known to say i have found a picture like this it's just so far-fetched you're just gonna look like a fool this is the most improbable story that has ever happened in the art market it's not even a good painting so I find this painting that's cataloged as after Leonardo. The lost Salvatore Mundi, the savior of the world. For whatever reason, this picture attracts my attention and we decided to buy it. Painting was very damaged and I removed some retouching. My hands are shaking. No one could have painted this except Leonardo. The joke was that that was a contemporary painting because 90% of it was painted during the restoration. Something's fishy here. But that's ridiculous. We have extensive technical analysis of the picture. Infrared, new x-radiography. It's been authenticated. Wow. Oh, God. <laughs> 240 million. 300 million. 400 million. This is the most expensive painting ever sold in the history of the art world. Where the hell is that painting? Nobody knows where it is. 
I gotta say, this this what? movie. What? Lay it on me. What? <laughs> you say L A U N D R Y. Laundry. And guess what? It's the lost Leonardo. It's the lost Leonardo. At one point, Christie's auction does like a promo video for this piece of work featuring Leonardo DiCaprio. Get it? Because they the nose. share a name. Totally. <laughs> we'll get into that. That video is insane. This whole thing is so stupid. <laughs> Ah, uh, these people. <laughs> this whole thing is so stupid. So... But we meet this guy, Alexander Parrish. Sure. He explains to us what a sleeper is. A sleeper is a painting that's being offered almost entirely at auction, which is clearly by a much better artist than the auction house has recognized. It's a painting at auction that the auction house doesn't know is a valuable fancy painting. Right. And so he is a sleeper hunter and he's someone who looks for these He sounds to me like he made up his own job and it sounds like a pretty cool job. Yeah, because we meet other guys who's like their lower third is sleeper hunter. So it might be one of those things where they're like, you guys want to just be known as a sleeper hunter? That sounds cool, right? (laughs) I just hope that they like make enough money. You know what I mean? Like how often is there like a Michelangelo just at Sotheby's that Sotheby's doesn't know? Pretty often, it seems. (laughs) These days that you can make a fuck ton of money selling art or fake art or real art or negotiating art or whatever. God damn. So this Alexander guy finds a painting in a catalog at like a gallery in New Orleans. In 2005. 2005. It's called the Salvatore Mundi. What does that stand for? The Savior of the World? Yeah. And the idea is that this painting was painted by a student of Leonardo da Vinci or a student of a student of Leonardo da Vinci, which is a thing that like these great masters would do. They would have these pupils and they would sort of copy the work of the great master. And to my great surprise, this painting is authentically from the 1500s. That's not in dispute. Yeah, they call it an after Leonardo painting. So it's sort of in his style immediately after him. They find it at this New Orleans auction. And we decided to buy it. We're going to buy it. We agreed on a price. Alex arranges for the shipment. I think it was sent. UPS, you know, on a truck to New York. These sleeper hunters buy it for $1,175. Now, that is shocking to me, that you could get a painting from the 1500s for $1,100. Seems very low price. That's why it's a sleeper. That's the whole point. (laughs) But then we get on-screen text that says, by 2017, this painting is priced at $450 million. Let's find out how that happened. Exactly. So, wait, what happens right at the top? Oh, my God. Okay. So... (laughs) The filmmaker asks the people one question. Why is there so much fuss over this thing? So we're getting like the round robin of the talking heads we're going to get throughout this whole thing. And like everyone is basically saying like... First, let me say this. This is the most improbable story that has, I think, ever happened in the art market. Everybody wanted it to be a Leonardo. And so everybody took the most optimistic view they could of it as a Leonardo. And cut to my best friend. (laughs) I love this guy. It's not even a good painting. It's not even a good painting. (laughs) He's Regis Philbin. (laughs) Well, first of all, also, before we get started, because we're going back to New York City in 2005, everyone calls this thing a picture. Yeah, I know. I hate that. I always assume that calling a painting like this a picture is considered bad form. Yes. But joke's on me because everyone, everyone calls does this thing it. a picture about yeah. a million times. I know. Another guy, by the way, says the word foibles. Yes. <laughs> like, picture, what is this, Hollywood in the 40s? Oh, I'm going to make another picture, kid. 
You're made for pictures. <laughs> so part one of this thing is called the art game. And we're in New York City, 2005. And the guy, Alex, from the top, the sleeper hunter, he and his friend Robert buy this painting. And it comes in a cardboard box. Yeah. I found that so horrifying. I know. It, I mean, we're right back in Made You Look where the trunk Roth goes. The trunk, totally. <laughs> Got some Rothkos in the back of my trunk. The back it's of my car a, in an alley. A trunk Rothko, a UPS Da Vinci. It's all the same. They're all cousins. Cardboard box Da Vinci. Like, please tell me you put bubble wrap in it or I know. Something. I know. But they say when they open this thing. There's clearly a great deal of overpaint. Restoration on the face of Christ. And two, there's clearly a large swath of the painting that is untouched, unrestored, and absolutely period. By that I mean circa 1500 absolutely from the period of the 1500s, but most of the painting has been damaged and touched up over the years. It's been restored and worked on a lot. So, again, they assume that this was done by a student of Leonardo da Vinci, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, Alex and Robert, the sleeper hunters, Mm -hmm. bring the painting to Diane Modestini. You guys, Diane Modestini. Now, look, the first thing I'm going to say, Pates fam, this is for you. This lady has a real Patty Peterson quality to her. He comes over carrying this painting in a black plastic garbage bag. And I take the painting out of the bag and put it on an easel. She's very, she went, oh my God, she's the top art conservation professional in the field. I know. And she always, like you, always thinks she's going to be screamed at. So maybe she shouldn't listen to this podcast. But she's very like, oh, oh, who me? Oh, I'm just Diane Modestini and they just brought it to me and I just don't know why. What do you think she calls the thing that she drives? An automobile. She for sure calls it an automobile. But I do think she says it, she's very, I don't know if she's putting, I think she's painfully shy. Uh Uh-huh. But also not in so many ways. Like she's a contradiction in a lot. Yeah, but I also think she's probably very good at what she does. She is a conservationist of like great work. So like when authenticated works are brought to her when they need to be restored in some way. Right. So like she's great at her job, but she gets mixed up in these shenanigans somehow. By her, okay, mixed up. Like she didn't do this all to herself. So they want her expert opinion. Diane takes a look at it and she's not sure what to make of it. So she brings it over to her husband, Mario, who's apparently even more celebrated than Diane when it comes to art conservation. He's like the best of all time. And and seriously, like the best of the best of the best. He's also 98 and housebound. Which is like, well, he was the best of the best. Right. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be ageist or anything, but like, I feel like they're better eyes in the room. (laughs) Look, as somebody whose eyes are failing, I agree (laughs) with you. But my other thing is Diane's like probably in her 60s. But that means there's like a 40-year age difference in that marriage. I know. No one's talking about that. At what point does age difference really not matter? I guess when you are in your 60s. 60 and 90? (laughs) That'll do it. I guess that's about the time. So Mario's like... He said, this is by a very great artist. He said, I don't know who it is, but it's the generation after Leonardo. It's definitely from the generation right after Leonardo. So Diane gets to work. And by get to work, I mean she removes the varnish (laughs) and basically repaints the fucking thing. She does that, but not before explaining her process making a Q-tip. This is like the most Patty Peterson moment. She's like, I took some cotton and I rolled it onto a stick. And I was like, you made a Q-tip. You made a (laughs) Q-tip. 
Which we really should not be using. No. For the earth and for our ears. I know. Or for our fucking noses at this point. God I know. Damn it. My goodness. But she immediately sees like a thumbprint. Well, right? No, it's not a thumbprint. She immediately sees a thumb painted. And what she's saying is that like. This is called a pentiment. It's a, a first, an artist's first idea. The thumb was subsequently moved to a different position. And you don't usually find that in a copy. So they're saying that this student of Leonardo da Vinci looked at his great work and made a copy of it. But in a copy, you wouldn't see a first draft, which is basically what she's saying this thumb is. But also, if you're making a fake, wouldn't you absolutely do the thing that would make people say, oh, you'd never see that in a fake? Well, maybe. But I believe that this is from the 1500s. Yes. I believe this is like a copy that... You're like a student of Leonardo actually did this. Yeah, I believe that a student of... Le- and, and like, there are some things we're going to learn that are convincing that maybe Leonardo actually did do this. And mm-hmm. this is one of them. That, like, the student wouldn't have messed up and painted over the thumb. And Diane even says, it's not a thing you would see in a copy, but it's also not definitive proof that this was made by Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, it doesn't prove that it's fake, but it doesn't prove it's real either. I wrote it proves it to me, Diane. (laughs) We got a da Vinci. And she also notices that a crack is running through the panel, because this was painted on wood. Yes. So she notices, like, some imperfections. So this took me a long time to understand. What she's saying is that this crack that runs through the panel is actually uh, from... A knot that's low down in the center. Da Vinci painted on wood. And this piece of wood had a big knot in the middle of it, which, like, led to the imperfection of this painting. Because, like, it fucks up the painting a little bit. And this is to say that, like, Leonardo never would have painted on wood like that. Right. So we're already contradicting ourselves. But then Mario dies. I'm sorry. He was 98. He lived a long, good life. Don't apologize. He's fine. Yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. I don't know (laughs) what I'm apologizing for. Welcome to my brain. So Diane continues to work on the painting. She's cleaning and restoring and fixing. And I'm so, like... I don't get the, like, just let it be what it is. Like, why are you changing it and fixing it? Like, to me, it's much cooler that it's a mess and that there's all that, like, just leave it alone. The only thing I'll say in Diane's defense is that, like, this is what she does. And I think she probably sees an opportunity to restore a painting from the 1500s and is all excited about it. But can't you, like, authenticate it first? I think at this point, no one is saying this is a Da Vinci yet. Okay. Everyone is just saying this is a copy, but it's from the 1500s. That in and of itself is pretty cool. Let's just, like, restore the painting. But she is just repainting it, and everyone else agrees with me. But the thing that's really sad about that is, like, that's what restorations are. Like, when you go to the Met and you see, like, a Da Vinci or whatever, and I don't know percentages, but these paintings are 500, 800 years old. And so, like, they do have to be restored, and sadly, that means, like, somebody, like, in the back office is, like, actually painting over. So how much of the Mona Lisa is real? You know what I mean? I totally get that. But doesn't that happen over time? Yes, because this is the scene that happens next. Like, Diane's alone in a room, and she's she's working. There's a part of the lip that on this painting like the lip of the it's Jesus right, it's, it's the painting Jesus. of Jesus right? right so you're talking about like his mouth lip. right there's a part of his mouth that is like hasn't been touched hasn't been restored at all because Diane isn't the only person to ever do like there are retouchings that has happened and basically Diane's been like undoing the retouchings and redoing them so she gets to this untouched part of it the lip and she like has this flash of like oh my god there is a transition in this area from the lip to the upper lip that is imperceptible. There is no line there for the edge of the lip is exactly what is present in the same area of the Mona Lisa. My hands are shaking. No one except Leonardo could have painted this picture. Somehow this says to her, 
only Leonardo could have done that. And so she gets up and like calls Alex and Rob, the the people who brought the painting to her. And she's like, this is a Leonardo. Right. And so there are only 15 Leonardos known. And now there's this new one. It's far fetched, but it's like a major deal. And the guys are saying like Alex and Rob, who found the painting for 1100 bucks, are like, this is very exciting news. But in our field, you got to be real fucking careful with this shit because they're like. To say I have found a picture like this is in our circles akin to saying, you know, I had a spaceship on my lawn last night and I saw some unicorns. It's just so far-fetched. Don't even try to convince yourself that it's right because you're just going to look like a fool. You sound that crazy. Cut to Jerry Saltz, my new best friend, and also playing the role of me in this documentary. He's doing that. He's hysterical laughing. The most famous artist of the high renaissance. Those paintings are heavily documented. And all of a sudden, we have this one. It disappears for hundreds of years. And then it turns up in America, in New Orleans. Oh, I see. Here's the lost Leonardo that somebody once mentioned in a book. And he's like fake smoking, yeah. doing voices. Oh, I see. Oh, there's a lost Leonardo someone mentioned in a book. I know. It's a well, little patty. The thing about this, though, that I got to say is kind of important. They talk about provenance. I forgot how much. I'm doing this without notes. I'm like really into it. I really it. can't believe how much you. <laughs> I know. I thought I hated this, but I kind of loved it. You like the idea of it. Totally. You're like Romeo. You yes. love the idea of love. <laughs> totally. But this stock could have been about 45 minutes <laughs> it really was a long one. But he's saying provenance is really important. And provenance is like the history of the painting. And, and it's all documented. It's, it's all documentation. Doc- and like in order for a painting to be like thoroughly provenanced, fully documented, yeah. you have to have the paperwork going back to the like Leonardo's studio, right? So Robert traces it back to 1900. He, right. And I'm like, that's fucking great. But this thing's from the 1500s. So you're, you're, I need 400 more years, buddy. I wrote the exact same thing. But here's the thing. Like this is what's interesting to me. He looks through records from the 17th century, which I found out is the 1600s, mm-hmm. not the 1800s. It goes the other way. Uh-huh. It's the 1600s. It's real, uh, you went to fancy private school. You probably already knew that. No, time is a construct. Do I don't like know. my resentment for your privileged childhood? I've just become like, pew, pew. I just sort of like, I remember the first time you were like, yeah, I get it. Your parents are still married. And I was I like, what the? What's it like to have a dad, GP? Pretty great. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I don't <laughs> But he goes through these documents from the 1600s. And they found two possible citations in the collection of Charles I. And my colleague, Margaret Dalival, found one in the collection of Charles II. Our painting does not have the royal brand on its reverse, as the panel has been thinned and rebacked. It seems possible, but not provable, that this is the same painting. My whole question this whole time is, did Leonardo paint a Salvatore Mundi? And it seems like he did. And it seems like it's documented in the records of Charles I and Charles II. And then the painting was lost thereafter. But did they say they didn't have the royal seal or whatever? So it's kind of useless information? Well, their painting, the one that we're looking at today, doesn't have the royal seal. But in the records of this royal family, there was a painting called the Salvatore Mundi by Leonardo da Vinci. So if we were to believe these records, and why would 
would they lie? Um, why wouldn't they lie? Who right. knows? Yeah. But like, it does seem like a Salvatore Mundi by Leonardo da Vinci did exist at some time and then was lost. And that's what your best friend is saying about like, oh, I read about that painting in a book sometime. Right, right, right. Like, right. He knows that there is a citation that, right. that this painting maybe did exist. And could this be it? But, but could, could it, it be? You know what I mean? I have chills right now. My ability to explain that in less than one minute makes me very happy. Slow, we need the West Wing music under it. <laughs> but I'm just saying this could be it. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Let's go to London in, in 2008 because, and this is what someone actually says. Particularly in the old master space, opinions matter more than facts at any one time. Opinions matter more than facts. And I went, yeah. I'm sorry, what? Like, that should not be the case when something is going to eventually be valued at over $400, 400 million. million. I mean, we kind of need some facts here. And the thing that really sucks is that, like, the people trying to do the provenance and finding this listed in actual documentation do the real work. Because what happens is we're going to the National Gallery in London and we meet the curator, this guy named Luke. Like, that's, like, one of the most important jobs in the art world. And he's saying that... When you're a museum curator, you quite often get sent images by email... Um, transparencies, whatever they might be, of pictures that people hope might be lost or forgotten masterpieces. And I have to say that for the most part, they are, to put it politely, somewhat disappointing. Look at this amazing lost treasure! And he's like, it never, ever pans out. It's always the Antiques Roadshow in his email. Yeah, but like, there's never, it's like, that's just a butter dish. It's, it's just really a, not. Totally. I'm sorry. I could lose a weekend to the Antiques Roadshow. Oh that's God. how gay I am. You're so gay. I'm so gay. Which is great. He's saying that I get these images all the time and it's always nothing, but this one felt different. It felt powerful and it felt like I should see it in person. I know, I know you don't believe it. I, but you guys should see like, your face. He's so blown away. Why by, like, can't a, you believe in anything? I can, but like a JP. <laughs> Like a fucking email image on it. Like, honestly. I know, I know. I know. Honestly. I know. This is a little, like, if you need, he's like, I just need to see it in person. But like, oh my God, that compressed email, poor quality photo really yeah. bowled me over. Well, like, come on. The one thing that also, like. Also, I believe in everything. <laughs> How dare you? Bigfoot? Kind of. Okay, great. I would be totally shocked if she came out of the woods and was like, hey girl. I know. I've been here the whole hey. time. I wouldn't be shocked. The thing that like, I hate to say, this guy, Luke, the curator, even Diane, even though they're not necessarily legally tied to this painting if it's authenticated. They all stand to gain if it's mm. authenticated. Of course. And so, like... We're back to made you look. I'm, I mean, I'm I know. having deja vu. I know, but for me, the most concrete evidence so far is the fact that there are documents from the royal family in the 1600s mm -hmm. saying they owned a painting by da Vinci called the... whatever it's called. Yeah. So, all of the best Leonardo scholars from all over the world come to the gallery and look at this painting and sort of see what they think. What they say is, yes, there's a lot of ego, but like everyone wants to be the one to make the discovery. Yeah. And, but the thing is, like, the people, there's this woman, Maria, and we can't really play anything because she speaks Italian. And she works in museums in Milan and she yeah. like heads to London to check the painting out. And everyone is hedging. Everyone's like, yeah, I don't know, it could be, but it's kind of also a mess. And like everyone's there to give their opinions, but no one gives an opinion. And what is so frustrating about that is also nobody directly asks, right? right. Because everybody wants it to be a fucking Leonardo. But also everyone's waiting to see what every other uh -huh. expert's gonna say. Uh -huh. And it's like, what a fucking waste of time! But also, what we learn is that Robert and Alex, the guys who bought this thing... The sleeper hunters. The sleeper hunters are going to then say that all of these scholars in the room authenticated it because none of them discredited it. Right. And this is the problem with the art market. Yes. It is so unregulated yes. that, like, anybody can say, well, they didn't say it wasn't, so we're gonna say that they said that it did, and suddenly we're selling this painting for $400 million. But then, a week after this meeting at the National Gallery, the fucking National Gallery 
gallery announces that they are displaying the long-lost Leonardo. For a museum of that esteem to say, come see the long-lost Leonardo, is essentially saying, this is a Leonardo. Yeah, and like, okay, there's that thing from the royal family, and they have it up to the 1900s, but there really is no provenance here. Right, There's none. like There's none at all. None that would be considered a full documentation. And my thing, I'm not saying this painting is the Salvatore Mundi, I'm just saying that it looks to me like a painting called Salvatore Mundi by Leonardo da Vinci did exist at some time. Right. And we don't know where it is now. Yes. Unless this is it. Which it probably isn't. Right. right. Diane just doesn't want the painting's feelings to get hurt. <laughs> Everyone's talking about it and sometimes they're saying not so nice things about the painting. Well, especially this guy Frank Zulander, who I just started calling Zoolander. I'm like, he's a new expert that's here and I'm like, something tells me he's not going to have good news for us. And he's saying, like, because at this point, all of the experts are like, I don't know, but it probably is a real Da Vinci. Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, I saw the painting in London. I thought it was interesting, but he's the first one to like break it down to its elements. He's like, there's something very strange. For example, the curls are sort of very schematic and uh, the, the blessing hand, the flesh tones, I mean, looks like, like a pupil to me. It didn't look like the painting of the master. And like when they were, they start showing it again with the guy saying this isn't a Da Vinci, you start to see it from the eyes of like, no, that doesn't look like a fucking Da Vinci. Right. And he also says like, it's almost impossible to tell because it's been restored so much. Yeah. And Diane, who did the restoring, painted it in the style of Da Vinci. Exactly. So this guy says, in some ways, it's like a, it's a masterpiece by Diane Modestini to yeah. which, and then she, in her best Patty Peterson, <laughs> oh, well, oh, well, that is an amazing compliment, but oh, no. No, I just, I know. I, I'm no Leonardo. Well, good news. We've got more people saying it probably isn't a Leonardo, and here's why. And I think I knew this about Leonardo da Vinci. Like, da Vinci was like an inventor. He was also obsessed with human anatomy. So this one guy, Jacques Franck, was saying, What struck me first was the hand, because the lifted fingers were absolutely wrong, because notably this one, because it seems to rotate over itself which of course is impossible. He studied human anatomy extensively, imagining that such a work led him to paint wrong hands can be thought about, it's unthinkable these hands are doing things that human hands couldn't do, Da Vinci never would have painted that. Yeah, and the guy, Frank, who says, like, this is a really great painting by Diane, Yeah, he's like, I gotta tell you, in 50 years, people are gonna look back and say, how could these idiots could have fallen for this? And he says the word idiots. Yes, because he's saying that authentication takes, like, 30 years. Yes! We don't do it in one year, and, like, he's speaking from the art side, he's not speaking from the business side. Of course! And these people didn't even authenticate it, they just did not. Exactly! Like, they read their body language, everyone was sort of open to the idea that it could be, that's not authentication? Am I crazy? No, you're exactly right because people are saying like, of course the curator from the National Gallery is going to say it's a Leonardo because that means membership goes up. People come to see it, you know? On the artistic side, they're like, we got to slow down. Like, this is going to live forever as a Leonardo. We got to do this the right way. And on the business side, they're like, no, 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 let's just call it a Leonardo. We all make money. Exactly. I think there are some people who are so rich, they just see it as like a victimless crime. Like, who cares? Like, there's a line around the block. These dumb idiots think they saw a real Da Vinci. Yep. All right. Meanwhile, I would have been in that line so fast. I know you would have. (laughs) 
I would have been around the corner waiting for you. I'll see you at the bar. Bye. I'm going to go see the Da Vinci. Yeah. Part two, the money game. Oh, there look, we go. Here. Yeah. In the beginning of part two, we meet a guy named Warren Adelson, and he's an art dealer. Now, Bob and Alex, the two guys who like bought the painting for 1100 bucks, the mm-hmm. original owners, these guys now own what the world is fucking calling the lost Da Vinci. Right. They are on, sitting on hundreds of millions yep. of dollars. Now, the three of them, the two original guys who found it in New Orleans and this Warren guy, now they're all partners on the painting. And they decide that the worth of this painting is in excess of $200 million. They decided that. It's they like des- Beanie Mania all over again. They just decided how much it was worth. And the thing is, like, it would be worth that if there was actual documentation that, like, they could definitively fucking prove it was a Da Vinci. Right. But, like, they essentially have because the National Gallery and all these, quote, experts didn't say it wasn't a right. Da Vinci. Right. But then, like, now Warren's all over the place. The dealer, like, trying to get museums to buy it and yeah. nobody will. And in fairness to, like, Alex and, and Rob, like, they do want it to go to a museum. They are trying to not sell it to, like, a private owner who's never going to display it anywhere. Right. But, like, all over the world, like, Boston and Houston were like, eh, we're going to take a pass. Dallas was like, we'll take that. Give us nine months to raise the cash. <laughs> and, like, all their donors were like, bitch, that's not a Da Vinci. Yeah. So they couldn't raise the money, so they weren't able to sell it to any of these fancy museums. Right. And then we go to Berlin in 2012, and we meet the curator of this, like, really fancy museum. I've really tried to pronounce the name of this museum, and I can't do it. But he says, Most of the painting is a remake. And this was for me the argument to say, no, this is not a painting for the Gemälde Gallery. I was surprised to see the painting in the exhibition in the National Gallery in London. It is a problematic painting. I think it's not the role of serious museums to present a painting which is so heavily discussed. Not only is it a pass for us, this is very much not a Da Vinci. Again, everyone goes back to the same thing. Too much work has been done on it. Yes, yeah. I feel like that kind of scared Bob and Alex. They're like, fuck the museums. Let's find a private purchaser. Because this guy says, like, there are too many unknowns, too many red flags. Like, who? Like, how is this in the National Gallery? Exactly. And the more they hear either no or, like, have you guys, like, looked into this at all? I know. They're starting to get a little nervous. But it's so reminiscent of the Trunk Rothkos from Major Look because remember when everyone was off authenticating those left and right and they're hanging in museums all over the country like what i know it doesn't make any sense so put a pin in that we'll get back to that in a second because now we got to go with diane the original person who said it was uh da vinci who did all the restoration on it who did other we're at her house in florence and like we're with her for an annoyingly long time this could have been a two-minute scene but the important thing that comes out of this moment is she's saying i know there are rumors that i was part owner of the picture but that's completely untrue people may think that because my husband was, was I and mean, he absolutely did own shares in pictures all the time because Mario was also a dealer. But I am not a dealer. Art dealers, the whole art world is very tricky. And you know, that you know, and I'm not I'm not that kind of tricky person. I'm not an art dealer. The art, it's a very tricky world and I'm not a tricky person and I would never do anything like that or be involved in any trickery. Why are you even asking me? But then she says, oh, I was paid generously because it it wasn't a fixed percentage. No. The owners, the three guys, said that they would pay her what they think she deserved. Because it was a payoff. Because imagine they didn't pay her anything and she turns around and was like, just kidding, it's not a fucking Da Vinci. of course she's not going to say the amount because it is astronomical and it would make my head fly off. Millions and millions of dollars. Like an insane amount of money. Yeah, yeah. Because when we learn how... Okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Next. So now we go to Geneva in 2013. The way they describe Geneva? Geneva, historically, is a place you go to disappear. 
this is a place where nations negotiate peace treaties. This is a place where diplomats and intelligence agents go to have a neutral territory. And this is also a place where businessmen are able to run sensitive operations in a very low voltage, safe environment. Apparently Geneva is a place where you go to fucking get off the grid and do all your shady shit. Yeah, like you can go there to disappear. You can make <laughs> sensitive know. deals in a very low voltage, safe environment. I'm like, what kind of, what's happening? in Geneva. I thought Geneva was the place we went to like make peace accords and shit. And also some very sensitive deals in a low voltage safe environment. I've yeah. never heard anything described that way before. Well, we meet a guy named Yves Bouvier and we meet him like he's riding a unicycle around a fucking tennis court. In circles. And I'm like, this is the kind of people I'm dealing with. He's riding a unicycle. Very Like, look, Ma, no hands. In circles. I know. He's like a rich, eccentric guy. And he's smoking in the car with the windows up. Like, I, I hate it so much. Enough. So we learn about this guy, this guy, Yves Bouvier. I think it's just Eve. Yves Bouvier. Yves Bouvier is a quiet guy who I think at the time you probably would not have said as a major player in the art world, um, but he played a major role. He meets a Russian transplant who really exiles himself in Geneva. Mr. Dmitry Rubelovlev. This Russian oligarch had like exiled himself in Geneva because that's where you go to do all your shady shit, I guess. right? And so this oligarch wants to buy the Salvatore Mundi. Right. And so he goes to Eve. He's like, you're the guy. You can get it for me. Eve tries to talk him out of it, according to Eve. He says the price is too high. Also, only a small part of it is real. But the oligarch is like, fuck it, I want it. And he's like, fine. Like, I'll reach out to Sotheby's, see if they can track down the painting. Well, I'll try to get it for you. So Dimitri, the Russian guy. Yeah. He wants to buy it for $125 million. That's yes. his, that's what he's going to do. And not a penny more. And not a penny more. And so they all meet up in Paris to start negotiations because I guess fuck Geneva. Yeah. And so Eve invites his friend, which this is just, uh, this means nothing. Yeah. But he invites his friend who's like this world famous poker player to help make the business deal, a $125 million business deal. He says, because a poker player knows how to read the opponent. And I'm like, it's not the worst idea I've <laughs> ever really heard. It really isn't a bad idea. If we're dealing with like maybe fake art and everyone's bullshitting the bullshitter anyway, totally. absolutely yeah. get the poker player. But they're trying to sell the painting for like $125 million. Eve is able to get them down to $83 million. So they get the deal, right? Right. Now, just to be fair, just something to note, Dimitri, the Russian guy, yeah. is not here in this room. And he doesn't know any of this. So because Eve knows that Dimitri is willing to pay $125 million for this, he gets the painting for $83 million, turns around, and he's like, girl, I got it for you for $127 million, and pockets the difference. Yeah. And the, the rich Russian oligarch is none the wiser. Can you imagine having that kind of money for, like, possibly fake art? Eve made $40 million on that deal by stealing from the Russian oligarch. That is not a thing you do. Yeah, and his whole thing is like... That's, that's... by saying, like, yes, Mr. Gotti. I know. You know Are I you mean? kidding? I know. I mean, it's as river. scary as that. But Eve is just like, that's showbiz, baby. That's business. <laughs> I'm not a liar. I'm not a cheat. That's how you do things in the art world. Oh, my God. Well, that's going to come back to bite him later. Yeah, but well. we get the backstory of Eve. I want to go through this very fast. Sure. Because it's kind of like, it goes on way too long. But, like, Eve comes from a, a shipping family, and he inherits the business from his dad and he learns that like he can build these things called free ports in Geneva. Yves Bouvier realized that there was increasing demand for places to store high value goods. 
So he expanded his business by creating armored warehouses, generally within the perimeter of an airport. And these are freeports. The Geneva Freeport is supposed to hold literally billions of dollars worth of art. The Freeport system, they describe it as a tax-free haven. So it's where very, 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 very rich people can keep their very, very, very valuable things. And it's secret from the tax authorities. So things can right. be bought and sold through these Freeports and no taxes will be applied because technically right. the objects are still in transit. Because they're near airports, you guys. It's so it's fucking like, shady. And, and like these facilities are gigantic. They're yes. like massive, massive warehouses. Yes. And they are filled with billions of dollars worth of art. Now, think about that for a second, because what's happening is, like, there's this guy from Bank of America who's involved in this documentary. These, like, huge corporations are buying art and using it as currency. It's currency! What's so sad about that is that these fucking masterworks are sitting in a fucking warehouse in Geneva being used to, like, fucking buy drugs and buy apartments. and like They're being used as currency for shady shit, and they're not on the walls of museums where, like, the regular people can go and see them. not for the love of the art. No. It like very rarely is. And these that's days. so sad. Yeah. So we get back to this Leonardo in air quotes. And we learn that when it was purchased by that oligarch, it went right into the Freeport system. It's being used as currency just like the rest of them. Nobody's seen it. Nobody knows where it is. Like, and then in 2014, this Russian oligarch finds out that Eves cheated him. Because the New York Times writes an article and blows Eve's entire cover, saying that Eve only paid 85 million. And the Russian guy's like, I'm sorry, what? You you told me it was what? (laughs) Like this must have been the most terrifying moment of his life. Even to this day, he was like, "I did nothing wrong." Again, that's showbiz kid. What do you want from me? I mean, it's so fucking scary. And the the Russian oligarch calls him because the the oligarch is like, "Well, fuck." Now he can't even enjoy his billions of dollars worth of art. Literally, I know. Every time he looks at it, he just sees like having been cheated. Flames on the side of his face. But there's nothing. He tries to take Eve down. He can't really do it. So he says to Eve, "You know what, bitch? I want you to sell the art." that you bought for me and I want you to sell it at the price I bought it for by next week yeah. and if you can't you're going to have problems. And and Eve is like oh yeah no that was a threat that was absolutely a threat. <laughs> but the bottom line here is that Eve has to sell all of these paintings for whatever he can get for them so the oligarch doesn't kill him and so he goes into the auctions you know like Sotheby's and Christie's or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Nothing was wrong with his art except for the Da Vinci. All of the other pieces in his collection were fantastic pieces. This was the one black swan in his collection that had questions around it, but there is a massive billion dollar collection behind it that could be potential future business for the auction house. So Christie's had to keep their client happy. They went all in on this picture. So Christie's, which definitely had doubts about the Salvatore Mundi, has to take it and sell it in order to get the rest of this billion-dollar art collection. Exactly. So Christie's goes on the offense. Rather than being like, this might or might not be a real fucking painting. Oh, you can't do that. No, they just decide that it is, and they make it the centerpiece of the collection. They call it the male Mona Lisa. You guys, it's crazy. Which everyone says, and I kind of agree. It's like, marketing-wise, a great move. Because what they say is like, Mona Lisa is probably, what, the most famous painting of all time? One million. So to say that, they say it explains the value. Like they're trying to turn this new painting into this global celebrity by comparing it to the Mona Lisa because everyone, me, dummy on the street who doesn't know anything about art, I'm like, fuck, there's a new Mona Lisa. I know. Like you kind of know exactly what that means, even if you don't know what it means. Here's what a piece of shit I am. I was in Paris and I went to the Louvre and walked right to the Mona Lisa, took a picture and left. What? I know. (laughs) I 
That's all you did? I know. In my defense, I did spend a full day at the Musée d'Orsay. Are you allowed? I thought you weren't really allowed to take pictures. because Oh, it, you like, absolutely depreci- are. No, oh. no, no. I, I think they must have like some kind of no protection No flash or whatever, yeah. but like, yeah, you could totally take pictures. But also, more trashy than that is yeah. Christie's now is on a full-fledged marketing campaign. For this fucking painting. So they make this commercial that is maybe the most fucking pretentious, <laughs> ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. But it's also genius. Their primary marketing video was brilliant in a way because it never actually showed the object. What they show instead is a series of people going up to the object and having an emotional reaction to it. They even had Leonardo DiCaprio they just show people's reactions to seeing it. Like having an, and it's, they're in a dark room yes. and they're just like standing and Leonardo DiCaprio is one <laughs> of the people having a visceral reaction. But I'm sorry, people are sobbing. They're sobbing. Give me a break. It would be me 100%. I Give would be me 100%. me a break. But of course it goes viral because people totally. like to eat this shit up and they're of like, course. oh, Le-, and like that that's Leonardo DiCaprio endorsing this I know. painting. I don't, well, of course. Just because you share a name with the guy who maybe painted it. And they send this Leo. painting on a national tour. So it's going all, like Christie's spared no expense right. to say like, this is the lost Leonardo da Vinci. And it's also like on CBS this morning. Yes, Gail King is real impressed. King, and they asked the guy. Any serious questions about its authenticity? None, really. Uh, it, it was, as I said, almost completely overpainted. But once that was removed after its rediscovery, it was it, the, the quality of it became very evident. And really there hasn't been um, any real question. <laughs> of course there's a conversation about it's all they are just totally ignoring every red flag or any like truth about this they night. have a that's just not true off on the morning show with fucking Gail King <laughs> the morning show with Reese and Jen Oprah's got a fucking Da Vinci in her house Gail's seen it many times she's got two she's got least. two Da Vinci's but this thing becomes like a pop cultural phenomenon right before it's even like unveiled exactly. at, it's exactly what they wanted so it's the day of the auction, y'all, and the place is packed. They had to add chairs. They're like at Christie's auction- auctioning this thing off, and it becomes a duel, right? Yeah. So they're they're waiting to see if it hits $180 million because that's the record. That would be the most anyone ever paid for a painting. And bidding starts at $125 million, yeah. right? And it, it takes seconds, seconds for it yeah. to hit $180 million. And everyone's like, oh my God, it's happening. Know, and the price keeps, it's yeah. not like 180 185 well, I mean, the numbers are yeah. jumping and like yeah. all... Also, this auctioneer is milking it for all it's worth. Of course. He's really making a meal He's out great. of it. He's making a meal. 320 million, we're still not done. At 330 million now. At 332 million. We learn that in the weeks leading up to this auction, Christie's hears from a new bidder that they've never heard of before. Yes. And they're like, is this person real? They don't know what's going on. So in order to let this guy in the room to even bid on it, in the room meaning someone on the phone, on the phone right? He's anonymous, yeah. They needed to make sure he was a real bidder. So they told him and his team, listen, if you want to be a bidder in this auction, you're going to have to transfer 10% of what is the maximum amount you would be willing to pay. The next morning, the accounting department came over and said, you won't believe this, but that guy just transferred $100 million into our account overnight. Christie's gets a $100 million in their account. And they're like, 
Give this guy everything he wants. What is that 10% of? Like a billion or whatever? Yeah. Jesus. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, it's like the head of his country. You know what I mean? It's well, like, that's what they're saying. They're, yeah. they're, the number is going up to 332, 350, 400 million. One of our journalists is saying like, this can't be a person. So one of these guys has to be like a country. Exactly. It's insane. Who has $400 million? And it's two people. It's, it becomes a duel. It's right. going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Finally, it gets to $400 million. Tabasomundi selling here at Christie's. $400 million is the bid, and the piece is sold. Boom. It's Plus sold. 50 million on commission, so the total is 450. And so I was like, that's cool, but could we also cure AIDS? You know, with 450 million dollars, we could cure AIDS. Because I know that cancer. shit's real, and I, I know that science is real, and we gotta figure that shit out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we have two countries like swinging their dicks around to buy this <laughs> probably fake painting. 450 million dollars. And also, what's dangerous about that is that that number has now set a precedent. Uh-huh. Like the art world is so it's such bullshit and so unregulated, it's only getting Worse. It's only getting worse, but then your friend Jerry Salt literally has like a picture of the Mona Lisa and a picture of the what's it called? Salvatore Mundi. Salvatore Mundi. And he goes, I've been looking at art for 40 years, and this is a made up piece of junk. Mona Lisa. Real. Real. And then he points at the Salvatore Mundi and goes, In drag. In drag. In drag. <laughs> and he uses the word flim flamming, which I know. A plus. I know. I know. Chef's kiss, Jerry. <laughs> He's just, he's mad even to this day. Right. But people like, we just get 10, 15, 20, 45 minutes of how like I everyone know. goes along with the lie because it's fun. It's just fun. Money, power, influence. It's great. He's saying like no one wants to get kicked out of the club. Like if you're the guy that's like, uh, I don't know about this. Yeah. Suddenly you're the idiot who can't spot a fucking Da Vinci to save your life. But like Diane's like, everyone's just talking shit about me for media attention. I'm like, Diane, can you just admit like uh, just a little bit yeah. of an admission that like, okay, so it maybe didn't go through like a real authentication process. Right. Like, she's not giving up anything. It's, it's very, true. like, no, everything was on the up and up. Diane, it wasn't. I know. What's the, the lady from Made You Look? Anne? and something. Anne it's so, the same thing. It's very much, because, of course, she's got to double down now. It's like, Diane, you're the first person who said it was real. Yeah. And then a bunch of egos in a room were just, like, seeing what the other person was. That wasn't, you should know more than anyone, Diane, how to totally. authenticate this. Give me a break. Just be a little honest with me. So we get to part three, the global game. God, and this goes on forever. It go, we'll be quick about this, but we meet this guy, Doug Patterson, who's just, like, Someone spends $450 million in a painting and thinks they're going to be anonymous. I don't fucking think so. Well, he's also from the CIA. So yeah. that, right? <laughs> he's like, I want to know who, what, where, when, why, who has $450 million. And we look, the New York Times gets the scoop. It's fucking Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. They yes. call him MBS. We don't have to, we talked for 15 minutes about what a piece of shit this guy is. Yeah. We're not going to deal with all of that today because it's not in the documentary, but we all know he sucks. But this guy, Mohammed bin Salman, he, he was like at the time the newly crowned prince of Saudi Arabia. What was so extraordinary about this uh, purchase is that Prince Mohammed bin Salman had made this splurge at the same time that he was cracking down on the Saudi elite, including many of his own royal cousins. He had imprisoned many of them in the Ritz-Carlton. He imprisoned them until they gave back all the money they stole yeah. from the government. He imprisoned them in the Four Seasons. He put them in jail in you the Four Seasons. You can't write this shit. And also, $450 million is not the most he's spent, because he that was on a probably fake painting. Yeah. $500 million on a yacht. I know. $300 million on a French chateau, but let's crack down. But the other elite. thing, too, is that $500 million yacht doesn't even look that nice. The pool looked kind of small, I if you're asking say, me. I was going to say, $500 million I know. yacht? I like, know. <laughs> 
I know. Can science have some of that? Can we cure AIDS? Can you please? like whatever you would like tip I know. on the five hundred million dollar yacht? Can you give some of it to science? I know. Thanks. I know. He never admits that he has the painting, but we also still don't know where it is. But the tip to the New York Times is that the painting lives on that shitty yacht. Yeah. And they're that saying shitty five hundred million dollar yacht. Chump <laughs> change. But they're saying like the yacht is sailing to France, maybe to hang the painting in the Louvre. Right. And the, the thing to know about this. This is the five hundredth anniversary of Leonardo's death. This is the big show. There is huge expectation that if it does turn up, the curator Vincent de Louvain will have a chance to nail the attribution. And so the Louvre obviously is doing this like big celebration and it would be a win for everybody. For Mohammed bin Salman to give them the painting to hang in the Louvre would be a big fucking deal. But it would also be a big deal for him because it would be the Louvre authenticating this painting as a real Da Vinci. Right. Which would put like Saudi Arabia on the cultural map. Sure. To, like the number of people who go to Paris just to see the Mona Lisa, You're myself included, <laughs> though the same number of people would then be going to Saudi Arabia to see this painting wherever they decide to hang it. Right. Because right? he's not going to live in the Louvre forever. That's exactly. The point. Right. Live in the Louvre forever. That was fun to say. That felt nice. <laughs> Live in the Louvre. So we get 20 minutes about like, is it or isn't it going to make it to the Louvre? And we see the curator of the Louvre desperately wants this painting. He wants to authenticate it. Is it going to be there? Is it not? But also people saying like, you cannot display this. It would ruin you, Louvre. Yes. Like the French journalist. If it were to be presented as a true Leonardo, he would make the institution ridiculous. So I wrote to the President of the French Republic. Monsieur le Président, je puis affirmer d'ores et déjà... It would be bring national shame on our right. country to authenticate this by hanging it in the fucking Louvre. <laughs> just, give, just give Diane Modestini her own gallery in the Louvre. It's the same exact thing. <laughs> so, like, we meet all these people from the press who are like, look, everyone is very excited. We hear it's going to be there. And so on the press opening night, basically, they've got this huge exhibition at the Louvre, right? right? And everyone runs. They're me. Yeah. They run right past it because they Because hear, it is celebrating Leonardo da Vinci's life. Exactly. So it is, I mean, it is a da Vinci thing. Totally. And, like, they hear that the Salvador Monday, if it's there, is going to be hung at the end of the gallery near the Mona Lisa. And all of these press people, like, run. They book it past... I mean, the poor Leonardo just all, rolling in his grave. All, like, the 100% yeah. authenticated yes. real Leonardo. Totally. So, like, fuck you. Which, by the way, I did go back and look at. They are beautiful. Oh, but, great. like, <laughs> you got my seal of approval, Da Vinci. Oh, good. Now he's, like, he's sleeping He's down like, oh, right God, now. thank he's God. No more, thank no God. Rolling. But they run to the end of the exhibit. It's not there, but they see the hooks where maybe it would go. And they're like, is this, like, a big moment of theater? And they're going right. to bring it out and hang it? Nope. It just never happened. Yeah. Nobody really knows why it's not there. So we cut back to Diane, who's in New York. Diane had gone to the exhibit. The Salvador Monday wasn't there. She's back in New York. She goes for, like, hopefully cocktails at her friend's house. And she's just sitting there. And she sees a little booklet about the Salvador Monday From the Louvre. Well, she's like, I've never seen this. What is this? He's like, oh, the Louvre made this. They were selling it in the bookstore at the Da Vinci 500 birthday exhibit. Right. You didn't get one? She's like, no. So she's, like, flipping through it. And she goes home, gets on the interwebs. And she's like, I got to find one of these. Like, what? And she can't find one. As far as she can tell, this is the only copy because this copy of this book about the painting authenticates it. Yeah. I find out that it is produced by the Louvre on the occasion of the exhibition. And it is full of some new technical examination they have done of the picture. The book recapitulates the history of the painting, then goes on to... Uh, attribute it securely to Leonardo. 
It's made by the Louvre saying, we've done our own independent research on this thing. This 100% is a real Leonardo da Vinci. And what we learn is that this was a fucking deal that was made with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. The Louvre is saying to Saudi Arabia, you let us display the painting and we'll publish this booklet saying that, yes, this is 100% a Leonardo da Vinci. And when the painting never made it, the book was never released. But I guess if you were there for that one day. That one day. That because one day. It, it was not public. And when the journalist called to be like, can you confirm like what this is? So this is this is like a really important moment. This investigative journalist gets the copy of the book and calls the Louvre. They're like, who is this? Yeah. I said too much. They won't yeah. acknowledge it. And they're like, in fact, you know what? It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It never happened. Everyone should just shut up about it. And we learned that. So why did MBS pull the work at the last minute? What he wanted to do was elevate the Salvador Mundi to the level of the Mona Lisa by placing it not amongst the lesser da Vinci's where the work would be subjected to every academic who wanted to make a name for themselves by opining on the work. He wanted it opposite the Mona Lisa as a civilizational masterpiece. Saudi Arabia was like, you can have it, but you got to hang it next to the Mona Lisa. The Louvre was like, we're not fucking doing that because... <laughs> the- <laughs> We're not fucking doing that. <laughs> because it would have been putting the painting on the same, like, cultural significant level as the Mona Lisa. But, like, Christie's did that for a year. I know. But, like, for the loot, like, to put them together, can't you see a world where suddenly people are just running to Saudi Arabia to see this painting as opposed to going to see the Mona Lisa? Absolutely. You know what I mean? I guess, or not really, or but sure. But, like, that's why this deal fell through. And the thing that is just so dirty about all of this is that it's like, I am convinced from the naysayers that it's probably not a yeah. Da Vinci, but yeah. the Louvre was so ready to just say that it fucking that was gross? to get the painting to be hung there. No, It's all business. It's not, I mean, I don't know when it all changed. Maybe it never really was about the art, but like, that's gone now. But we have to hold these institutions accountable. I agree. They are the safeguards of culture. They are the safeguards of culture. Oh my God, you're we, so gay. I, but I, I love it. <laughs> you're like one of those old gays. Not yet, but like in 30 don't, years, totally. you'll be like in a bunch of tweed. <laughs> but like, like, if we cannot trust the Louvre I know. to be discerning about what is a fucking Da Vinci and what isn't, then what is real? Let me say something about institutional knowledge and authority. It's not as real and as foolproof and as clean and immaculate as you think. It is never neutral. Power is never neutral. What is real? I agree with you, but like, I think it's too far gone now. I know. Like, how do you even start regulating something where something that may or may not be real is sold for $450 million? Like, where do we, we can't go back. It's too far gone. I know. The thing I appreciate about documentaries like this is that at least we know, you know what I mean? Right. At least we know that we can't trust the Louvre when they tell us they found a new fucking Da Vinci. So go find like cool new independent artists and fill your houses and your apartments and your vacation or whatever with that. If you have a lot of money to spend, go spend it on an artist who's who is unknown. Let me tell you something. Remember like a hundred years ago when we covered Exit Through the Gift Shop and we met Mr. Brainwash? Yes. That guy is like the most prolific painter. His paintings are like insanely, they're like $25,000 each, but they're real, you know? Of course. He made them and they are real and they are valuable and if you have money, buy that. You know That's what, what I mean? Saying. Buy something that you know is and real. And they're good. Like they're cool. I like love his artwork, yeah. you know? And like discover like whoever your Leonardo da Vinci 100%. is. Find someone else. Yeah. Like there's, there's so many struggling artists in this I know. 
world. And the Louvre is fucking gatekeeping some probably fake Da Vinci. It's disgusting. <laughs> Thanks for ruining my weekend, GP. All right. <laughs> you wanted to do this I one. <laughs> Every time you're like, we have to do this one. And then we do. You're like, I hated it. <laughs> or I'm so sad, like with Adrian. I know. Now, like, I still cry about that one. You know what? Blame the Louvre. Totally fuck you, I did Louvre. nothing wrong. <laughs> Oh my God, girl, we did, what's it called? The Lost Leonardo. The Lost Leonardo. Yeah. May she stay lost forever. You know what? Who cares? I, who cares? <laughs> Honestly, Diane, enough. I know. With your little whispery voice. You did this. Fam, check out Jillian's new podcast. Let the women do the work. Come see me on tour. Yes. In Florida, Texas, Atlanta, and St. Paul. Great, sure. I've been to St. Paul. I can't wait to go to St. Paul. Well, seriously, have the best time. That theater looks beautiful. Okay, great. And join us on the Patreon. Yeah. Over 300 full ad-free bonus episodes. Download a binge right this second. Yeah, we're about to to record another episode of Wild Crime. I for can't you. wait. Yeah. What are we doing next? We are doing The Last Call Killer on Oxygen. Do you know about this? N- we're doing an ox. It's a one off. Okay, great. It takes place in gay bars. Oh! And something finally, after five years of doing this, has happened. <gasps> what? A talking head showed up and I said, I know that guy. No way! It takes place in New York City gay bars. Of course I knew someone. <laughs> I have a whole story. Oh, my God. Well, stay tuned for the trailer for that. Our funny and ridiculous outtakes. There's going to just be me screaming about being the gatekeepers of culture. (laughs) Remember when you said that? That's great. And we love you, fam. We love you. Thanks so much. All right. Bye. Bye. I've seen dead bodies before, but that day was the first time I actually saw dismemberment. Two months later, we had another case now. We knew we had another body. Then another victim later on. The cup marks were similar in all three victims. It took what somebody could do to a human body to a new level. We knew we had somebody that was dangerous. I don't think he was going to stop. I don't think he was going to stop at all. More than 20 investigators were working on the task force. On a forensic end, we were searching to find out where the bags had come from. We had to trace the evidence. The detectives had me do a composite of the man that was sitting next to Michael that night. They have a match. We had to find this guy. There's, like, a lady who's so loud. And, like, I normally love that. But, like, why is she so aggressive? Who? You? I can't I don't remember anyone being loud and aggressive. <laughs> Tom, cut all that. <laughs> I don't know. Wait, who was she? I didn't write her name down, but she was very opinionated. He was like an inventor. He was. I read the Da Vinci Code one time, so I'm an expert. Oh, I didn't read it at all. Or see the movie. And I love Tom Hanks. Weird. No. Tell me everything. <laughs> I'm so dumb. Like, the, the Da Vinci Code is the perfect book for me. It's a dumb, down, smart person book. Okay. And so it was perfect for me. Are we going to, we don't have to, but are we going to talk about Bruce, who's Eve's business associate, who is standing in front of a painting of a naked woman laying on a cigar? No. Great. Let's just go right by. It means nothing. 